Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Net Jabbar. This is going to be episode 206 of The Informed Catholic, 206. We're just going to go right into it. Now, I have an article here from Church Militant. I haven't done one of these in a long time. It's by Rodney Pelletier. I'm going to set this up in the... Uh, uh, Put the information here. You can go to Church Militant itself. It's leftist lies about Mary. <laughs> this is kind of a form of iconoclasm. Basically, it's also a, uh, a hijacking. Uh, I don't know why uh, these progressive Catholics do this. But this is something about a um, article that a nun wrote. I'm going to try to see if hopefully I can get, um, see if we can get it. But let's start here with this. Leftist Lies About Mary. It's a church militant article, December 23rd, 2021, by Rodney Pelletier. Uh, I'm going to spell his name for you. Capital R-O-D-N-E-Y. Rodney Pelletier. It's P-E-L-L-E-T-I-E-R, churchmilitant.com, December 23rd, 2021. Was Our Lady an Unwed Mother? Oh, boy. All right. And it's basically based on an article by Sister Christine Schneck. Uh, Christine, uh, you know, that you pretty much can, that I'll spill it for you anyway. C-H-R-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Schneck, capital S-C-H-E-N-K. Let's begin. It's that time of the year again, the time when theological homo-Marxists co-opt scripture, co-opt scripture or hijack scripture, while torching Catholic teaching and tradition. The Christmas season is really the only time they talk about Our Lady, and naturally they get it laughably wrong. There's a photo here of Christ, uh, Sister Christine Schneck. She doesn't look like a nun. She looks like what you call like a, a public school teacher, like a third grade teacher or something. She's got she's not wearing a, a, a nun habit. She's got a turtleneck sweater, um, kind of like a vest on, and she's got glasses. Uh, I have to say, I mean, I'm going to take a guess that she's probably like a Karen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I apologize to all the Karens out there. I really do. I, you guys really, you ladies have an, un, uh, an unjust attack against your name, but it's, you know, in, in the fact that she refuses to dress like a nun, she refuses, she calls herself a sister. And then the fact that she adopts all these progressive things is kind of sad. And it probably, she's, looks like she could be someone maybe in her 60s or 70s. And um, she's probably someone who got into all that Vatican II stuff, the progressive, you know, the hijacking of Vatican II, I should say. It's all the hijacking of Vatican II. And sadly, it's also the torching of uh, the destruction of Catholicism. Anyway, let's go on. 
Okay, he says the Christmas season is the only time they talk about Our Lady, and naturally they get it laughably wrong. A prime example is the National Catholic Reporter's piece, Jesus' birth to a single mom signals a prophetic challenge to patriarchy. I'm going to read it again to you, and I'm going to, actually going to pull up this article. Jesus' birth to a single mom signals prophetic challenge to patriarchy. The author, Sister Christine Schneck, says Jesus is the son of Mary, not Joseph, and hence Mary was a single mom. Yet she immediately contradicts herself by citing the beginning of St. Matthew's Gospel, which refers to St. Joseph as the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Schneck claims, here we have an elaborate and painstaking genealogy created to prove Jesus' ancestral link to the male kings and patriarchs of Israel, when in fact he was born to Mary through, pow through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through Joseph, not through patriarch patriarchal potency. Oh, wow. But that doesn't make Mary a single mom. It doesn't even follow logically from the title of Schneck's article. You know, the, the sad problem is, is that even the, the New American Bible, it in the Luke's Annunciation, in the New American Bible version, they don't have hail full of grace. They, ha they have a highly favored daughter or highly favored one. And when they type the type of the Holy Spirit in the New American Bible, um, the name in the Holy Spirit, H, is a lowercase h. I, I've never been able to find why they did that. Why they, a Catholic Bible would do that. I, and, and then sadly, when they put out the second edition of, to the New American Bible, the Isaiah prophecy of chapter 7, verse uh, chapter 7, uh, 14, I guess, was something. Um, they removed a virgin shall conceive and they put down young woman or a young woman. Why would you do that in a Catholic Bible? And yet what you have now is, is still, even people have complained, what you have in your new American Catholic Bible is not what you hear from the, from, from the, from the, uh, during liturgy. It's, it's totally different because the Vatican had to step in and correct it. And now and on top of that, the footnotes of the New American Bible. Oh my goodness. It's all these uh, historical critical um, uh, scholars. I mean, it, and, it, and it helps people like her, sadly. I mean, the whole, the whole, our whole Catholic faith has been hijacked by people like her. Let's continue. All of this explained in the second chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, after Mary and Joseph uh, feverishly sought the lost young Jesus for three days in Jerusalem. They found him in the temple. St. Joseph, Joseph's comments to our, our Lord, if he made any, or are not recorded. But Our Lady asks, Son, why hast thou done this to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Yeah, she refers to him as father. 
Mary herself acknowledges St. Joseph is the foster father of Jesus. Our Lord's explanation doesn't contradict her. Rather, uh, rather by it, he goes further to express the mystery of the incarnation. How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Our Lord is speaking about the heavenly father while acknowledging that St. Joseph is his foster father. Holy Scripture reveals that Joseph subjugated him, um, that Jesus subjugated himself to the parental authority of both Mary and St. Joseph. Schneck then ties in the Old Testament stories of Rahab, the harlot, Tamar, who seduced her father-in-law, Ruth, the Gentile, and Bathsheba, who committed adultery with King David, all of these women are in the genealogy of our Lord, except for Ruth. Schneck refers to some of their sinful moments as example of how an unpredictable God used female initiative and courage in unexpected ways to affect the lineage of the future Messiah. She really, she really doesn't get it. Again, she has it totally wrong. God, in his permissive will, did allow these things to happen. But the fact he allowed them to happen doesn't mean that they were moral. If anything, it shows God is able to bring good out of evil. And in every case, these women repented from their past sins and lived according to the laws of God. So God, who literally created the patriarchy, is apparently getting hip to his new God of Surprises title so tightly woven into the so-called magisterium of Pope Francis. What used to be true is apparently now no longer true. Surprise. After Christmas, brace yourselves for homosexualist Jesuits calling Mary and Joseph refugees, all all while claiming Democrat, Democrat immigration policies are the Catholic solution to our border crisis. Tis the season. Oh boy, it's it, it you know it's sad. It really is sad. I want to I want to hear. Uh, I want to put uh, Rodney Politeer here. I want to want to hear the recording a bit. All right, hold on. Well, Saint Joseph is the true spouse of Our Lady, and uh, we know this first and foremost through sacred scripture. Um, and um, we Saint Joseph isn't really all that uh, prominent in sacred scripture, but where he is, he's powerful. The first, um, the first chapters of Luke and of Matthew. Now, with Luke, it's mostly centering around how the angel comes down and greets Mary and, you know, tells her that he, she will be, she will conceive of the Holy Spirit. Um, but uh, what's interesting about this is that in, in verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how shall this be, since I know not man? never had sexual relations with anyone. How can I become impregnated? And of course, uh, the angel says, well, the Holy Spirit will come down upon you and overshadow you, and, the, and the, the, the child that you will bear will be called, you know, holy, the Son of God. And uh, of course, Mary gives her fiat and all of that. But that question about a man is still lingering there in, in the Gospel of Luke. Now let's go to the Gospel of Matthew where St. Joseph is prominent, and interestingly, juxtaposed because there's an angel here too. And the angel comes to St. Joseph rather than Mary and Luke, and says to St. Joseph, 
Um, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She has been conceived of the Holy Spirit. And you shall, you know, bear, she shall bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Why? Because, according to Scripture, he will save his people from their sins. In Hebrew, Yeshua means Savior, or God saves. All right. That was Rodney Pelletier. And uh, that was a, um, a clip from uh, sort of a church militant, I guess you can call it round table, if they still call it that. So now we're going to go into that article by that sister, Christine Schneck. All right. This is the uh, Catholic National uh, Reporter, right? And here it is. Jesus' birth to a single mom signals prophetic challenge to patriarchy. She's sounding like Pope Francis. <clears throat> she drank the Kool-Aid. All right, this this Chris, sister Christine Schneck, they didn't even put down she's a sister, but it's a um, December 22nd, 2021 by Christine Schneck, a national Catholic reporter. All right. At the Christmas Eve Vigil Mass, ask your pastor to read all 25 verses in Matthew's Gospel rather than using the shorter form that skips over the genealogy. I know, proclaiming Matthew's genealogy can be tedious to contemporary ears, yet it contains critical information about the, um, the amazing and at times unsettling unpredictability of God. Genealogies were important to antiquity. They sought to explain a person's significance in light of the overreaching history of those who had gone before and helped establish the identity and authenticate the status of important persons such as that of a king or priest. It came, it it's, if certain ancestral traits reappeared in descendants, a genealogy could reveal something about that person's character as well. Matthew's genealogy worked hard to link the birth of Jesus to Joseph and the proud Davidic patriarchal lineage from which every good Jew knew the Messiah would come. See Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. The first line speaks volumes. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Immediately we know that Matthew is saying that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah and his lineage can be traced to David, then to Abraham. Well, she's getting that part right. There's one problem with this. Jesus is the son of Mary, not Joseph. And now, now, she, really, now she just threw the hammer in, the, 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 uh, the Marxist hammer. Wow. Wait for the sickle. It's about to come. Matthew himself quietly spells this out in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So here we have an elaborate, painstakingly genealogy created to prove Jesus' ancestral links to the male kings and patriarchs of Jesus, when in fact, as verse 19 explains, he was born to Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through Joseph, not through patriarchal potency. You know, the gospel says that. The, the angel came to Joseph. And, and first of all, I read this a couple of days ago. 
Joseph never, ever thought Mary ever did anything wrong or ill of her or that she committed an act of unclean or she was sexually uh, attacked. It doesn't say that. It says he he didn't want to put her to public disgrace. I believe he believed her. The text is saying it in a very quiet way because the the whole incident was so private and intimate. And the gospel writers almost go out of their way to keep it private. Not because of anything shameful. They know that all this was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke goes out of his way to, to say that in his gospel. He actually has the annunciation. Matthew here. Luke is Greek. Matthew is approaching it with such delicacy, such um, respect. He is almost like he doesn't want to look behind the curtain of the tent. He has respect for Mary. He has respect for Joseph. He has respect for Mary's family. He doesn't even, I mean, you know, her parents believed her. She's incapable of, of guile. Joseph knew that about her. Joseph knew she was incapable of making this stuff up. She was incapable of committing sin. She was incapable of anything unclean. She is the purest creature on earth, the most De- more decent than him, I would imagine. He, you know, you know, Joseph would think that about her. She was more holy than him. And this nut here, all she could think about was, you know, uh, single moms, the symbol, the symbol of progress. She's holding that. She's holding the Marxist flag up instead of the cross or any icon of Our Lady. It's unbelievable. All right, let's move on. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's go back. I mean, I, I, there's one problem with this. Jesus is the son of Mary, not Joseph. Matthew himself quietly spells this out in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called Messiah. He's right. Pelletier's right. She contradicts herself. So here we have an elaborate, painstaking genealogy created to prove Jesus' ancestral length to the male kings and patriarchs of Israel. When, in fact, as verse 19 explains, he was born to Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through Joseph, not through patriarchal potency. It's enough to make any self-respecting feminist laugh. Oh my goodness, I can't believe she put that in. Oh my goodness, I can't believe she put that in there. Oh, it's enough to make any self-respecting feminist laugh. It's making me laugh. Oh my goodness. Listen, here she puts down Sojourner's Truth, 1851 speech arguing for female voting rights, pretty much nails it. Then the title, then the little, okay, then the little man in black there, presumably a preacher, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. 
Where did your Christ come from? Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. Oh, you see, she is so stuck in her. She She's her age. I mentioned she's a short haired woman. She's. In her 70s, I'm going to presume right now, somewhere in her 70s, she's got glasses on. She's stuck in her past. This is the problem. It's also within our many of our uh, bishops and our priests. They're stuck in their past. They look at Catholicism as a, in a secular humanist way. When they talk about God, they're really not talking about the divine God. This is their Marxist view, interpretation of God. He's there. You don't see him. You don't hear him. And he doesn't interrupt with their with their progress. Unbelievable. Okay, let's uh, move on. All right. Man had nothing to do with him. While this makes for rather fun rhetoric in the 21st century, it did work so well for the first century pastoral sensibilities for the sake of the Jewish Christian community for whom he wrote Matthew needed to connect Jesus to the Hebrew patriarchs and to explain the unusual events surrounding Mary's pregnancy all within the context of Jewish tradition and history <clears throat> you know her um, condescending remarks show right through he succeeds in doing so and it is nothing short of masterful. In addition to Mary, four women are woven into the Methian genealogy. Rahab, Tamar, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, a.k.a. Bathsheba. All four women played critical roles in Jewish history. And according to the renowned biblical scholar, Father Raymond Brown, they came to be seen in post-biblical Judaism as instruments of the Holy Spirit. All four women had something irregular, some would say scandalous, about their unions with their partners. I'll get to the part of why, why Matthew put them in there. What could be better witnesses of, of the power of an unpredictable, unpredictable God to, to raise up, up long-awaited Messiah from the least powerful of humans? A child born of an unwed mother. This is what a tweet she made. Boy, she really. Oh boy. Okay. Rahab. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 to 24. Chapter 6, 1 to 2, and 15 to 25. Ran a brothel in Jericho. Joshua sent two men uh, to. to, to um, to investigate, uh, it was a it's a political word I can't pronounce here right now. Anyway, the city to to reconnaissance the city before his planned siege. Rahab had gleaned a great deal of intelligence from her silatel and share from her home and shared the information with Joshua's spies. She saw that the Hebrews would prevail. I know that God has given you this land. Fear has fallen upon us. Rahab hid Joshua's spies and helped them escape. In return, she received a safe passage for her entire household and family. 
Rahab became the mother of Boaz and according to rabbinic tradition was the ancestor of eight prophets, including Jeremiah and Huldah. Well, she's also the ancestor of David. She's uh, she's David's great-grandmother. Tamar. Okay, she should have gone with Tamar first because she went. Joshua came much later. She should have gone with Tamar. Genealogy. Uh, I mean, Genesis chapter 38, verse 6 to 30. First Chronicles chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 3 to 6. First husband, before she had any children, uh, died, as with the custom. Her father-in-law, Judah, gave her to his second son, Onan, so he so his deceased brother would have an heir. But Onan withdrew before his semen could enter Tamar. She couldn't resist to put that part in there. And and as a punishment, he also died. A fearful Judah refused to give his third son to Tamar, but neither did he realize uh, release her from her um, liverite bond, that means to marry the other son, so she could marry again, since in antiquity a woman's first duty was to produce a male heir. A resourceful Tamar disguised herself as a temple prostitute and seduced Judah. She also demanded a personal items from him as to pledge a future payment. Tamar became pregnant, and when Judah sought to burn her for being a harlot, she was saved by showing him his pledge. She is more in the right than I am, said Judah. Tamar bore twin sons, including Perez, who, could, who continued the Abrahamic lineage. Ruth, uh, chapter 1 to chapter 4, was a foreigner, a Moabite, whose mother-in-law, Naomi, had immigrated from Judah to Moab during the time of famine. After both women's husbands died, Naomi decided to return to Judah. A childless Ruth insisted on returning with her. Her fidelity to Naomi is remembered to this day with the popular wedding hymn, Wherever you go, I shall go. Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. Upon their return, Naomi encouraged Ruth to seek out a wealthy kinsman, Boaz, in hope of fulfilling the liverite obligation to beget a child for her deceased husband. Ruth did so, and Boaz married her. She gave birth to Obed, the grandfather of David. Bathsheba, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 to 27, chapter 12, verse 1 to 25, 1 Kings chapter 1 to 40, um, chapter 1 to 40, and then chapter 2, verse 13 to 25, was a beautiful wife of Uriah the Hittite. As she was bathing one day, King David was out for a stroll along the palace roof and saw her. He summoned her to his chambers, most likely, most likely raped and, and, and impregnated her. Oh, I can't believe. <laughs> I'm sorry. It doesn't. It doesn't imply that in the text at all. It doesn't imply that in the text. Oh my goodness. She went there willingly. She went there willingly. She was bathing on the rooftop where he, she wanted him to see her. The two of them saw, probably saw each other at a banquet. Her rooftop and where she was seen, she know people hanged around in rooftops. 
She knew what time of the day he would be there for a stroll. And she bathed where he could see her. She wanted him to see her. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I have to laugh because it, 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 it's, it's, it's quite clear that the writers are not happy about it. But this is something that really happened. Okay, a woman just doesn't bathe on a rooftop in eye view of, of a king's balcony. They saw each other. They... <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I mean, if people, people disagree with this, but she, of course, has to put down this... This whole thing. All right. Okay. Let's just continue. She was bathing one day. King David was out for a stroll along the palace roof and saw her. He summoned her to his chambers, most likely raped and impregnated her. She contradicts herself here. He then tried to cover it up and ordered Uriah home from battle, hoping he would sleep with his wife. But Uriah refused to take pleasure while his fellow soldiers were dying. David then had Uriah sent to the front line where he was killed. He took Bathsheba as one of his eight wives and ten concubines. After the prophet Nathaniel chastised David, the couple's male infant died the, 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 from the child from... I guess from her alluded rape, but it was from the affair. David again impregnated Bathsheba and she gave birth. Boy, she, she likes to use the word impregnated a lot. Okay. And, get, and she gave birth to Solomon. Bathsheba subsequent nav, uh, navigated palace intrigues to make sure her son Solomon succeeded David as king. Matthew holds these four women as an example of how an un unpredictable God used female initiative and courage in unexpected ways to affect the lineage of the future Messiah. In his classic book, The Infancy Narrative, The Birth of the Messiah, Brown explains, you know, Raymond Brown is not everyone's favorite. He really, his, he uses a lot of, okay, um, Brown uses a lot of I mean, he, he did a lot of damage to the whole, um, he abused the critical historical method and, you know, used a lot of this so-called historical Jesus narrative and the Q gospel narrative. I'm sorry, but he's really, I mean, I know some people may disagree. I mean, I'll, I'll respect, um, but he really did a lot of damage and no one really, no one really talks about Raymond Brown that much. Father Raymond Brown. It is the, okay, this is a quote. It is the combination of the scandalous or irregular union of divine intervention through the women that explains Matthew's choice in the genealogy. Matthew has chosen women for, who foreshadow the role of Mary, the wife of Saint, the wife of, of Joseph. In the eyes of men, her pregnancy was scandal since she had not lived with her husband Yet the child was actually begotten through God's Holy Spirit so that God had in, 
intervened to bring to fulfillment the messianic heritage. I mean, he says some good things, but there's a lot of other stuff that people have problem with Raymond Brown. He did a lot. He did do a lot of damage to um, Catholic scholarship uh, on the Bible. He went too far into the secular realm, and a lot of things he, you know, he 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 the way he wrote, um, it just didn't help. It didn't help. What could better witness the power of of an unpredictable God? She loves to use that than to raise up a long-awaited Messiah from the least powerful of humans, a child born of an unwed mother. What better witness than a son with no apparent biological father and therefore no claim to patriarchal privilege? He has to be the son of David to be the Messiah. He has to, he has to, Mary herself is of that lineage. Amazing. In the woman's Bible commentary, New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine observed that Jesus' unconventional birth indicates the re reconstructing of human family. Outside of patriarchal models, it is not ruled by nor even defined by a male head of the household. With such genealogy, it is no surprise that Jesus, taught by his magnif uh, mag magnificat, mo magnificat mother, dedicated his life to raising up the lowly, scattering the proud hearted and filling the hungry with good things. She's really feminizing everything in the mess. I mean, she's basically also feminizing Jesus in the messianic age. Family would become newly defined for the Christians as deriving from God's power to save through Jesus rather than through human patriarchal power. The earliest Christian communities saw their kingship in Christ as primary fa familial identity. All right, let's continue. Christian uh, Christmas is a great time to celebrate Jesus' unpredictable, uh, unpredictable God, who often confounds even the most deeply in entrenched of our human experience. It can be scary. It can also be liberating. How will you witness to Jesus, unpredictable God in a patriarchal world, still so deeply in need of transforming grace? All right. Christine Schneck, uh, St. Jo uh, Joseph, St. Uh, Sister Christine Schneck, and, and NCR, National Catholic Reporter Board member, served urban families for 18 years as a nurse midwife before co-founding Future Church, where she served for 23 years. Her book, Crispina and Her Sisters, Women and 23 Years, her book, Crispina and Her, okay, 20, uh, 23 Years, um, served, she served, I'm sorry, she served for 23 years. Her book, Crispina and Her Sisters, Women and the Authority in Early Church, Fortress 2017, was awarded for first in place in history by Catholic Press Association. She holds a master's degree in nursing and theology. I don't understand why she has to. You see, this is all because of Pope Francis and his... Um, 
All right, let me read this one more time because it was some background noise coming from the other room. Uh, Christine Schnick, St. Joseph, Sister Christine Schnick, an NCR board member, served urban families for 18 years as a nurse midwife before co-founding Future Church. I hate that when they use a like church instead of saying the church. Where she's served for 23 years her book, Crispina and Her Sisters, Women and Authority in Early Christianity. Fortress 2017 was awarded first place in history by the Catholic Press Association. She holds a master's degree in nursing and theology. All right. What are my problems with this? It's it's so modernist. It's so modernist and very unattractive. It is also... It's too rooted in the world. It's too rooted in the the ideology, the social engineering and divisive ideology of the world. All right. And let's face it, it you know, I mean, look, we have people like Mother Teresa of Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta, you have uh, um, Mother uh, Mother Angelica of of Happy Memory. Hopefully, she'll you know, one day she'll be become a saint. Um, it doesn't it it doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit in. I mean, someone like Mother Angelica, who uh, a, a modern saint. I hope one day. I, I believe one day she'll be become a saint. Didn't think. Didn't didn't share her views. She was happy as a woman and she and she and she held up church tradition and orthodoxy. This one here doesn't even want to dress up like a nun. She wants she 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 she's more attracted to the world and uses the world's ideology, the feminist the, the ideology of feminism of the world and and she she basically um I mean her her ideology is not going to be it's, it's it's just it, there's no place for it in the church. There's no place for that. She doesn't. She wants she wants to shape the the church to look like the world. She wants to bring Marxist feminist ideology into the church. And she herself technically doesn't really like the church. I mean, look, I'll give you an example. This is the same ideology that plagued Anglicanism, Episcopalianism, Methodism. And those churches wound up coming becoming empty. <clears throat> All right? Wound up becoming empty. She she's she's still stuck in her 1960s and 70s revolution, and yet you have Amber Rose and other young women who are embracing tradition. And they're also becoming, they're saying that they're also being attacked by people of her generation, uh, uh, Hong Kong, Pope Francis, right? And calling young people disturbed and emotionally disturbed for embracing tradition, for veiling. Yet this one here doesn't want to veil. If you don't, if you're not like her, you're disturbed. If you want traditional Latin mass, you're disturbed. 
You want orthodoxy, you're disturbed. They try her 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 method, her her little cartwheel, little bicycle ride has been tried, and young people don't want it. All right, she doesn't even know she's riding a bike with with a missing wheel or no no brakes, and she doesn't even know this. No one wants no one wants her ideology. No one wants people have walked down her road. Maybe that's the right analogy, and nobody wants it. It led to no nowhere. All right, her interpretation of scripture, her 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 interpretation of Mary, her interpretation of the birth of Jesus, of family. They tried it. It doesn't work. Nobody wants it. All right. Giving her an award, first place award. Nice. But guess what? Nobody's going to read it. This is just the left patting itself on the back. Nobody wants her approach to the Christian faith. Young women don't want her approach to the Christian faith. An unpredictable God. What does that mean? Unpredictable God. All right. What does that mean at all? It's basically taking Pope Francis's word, the God of surprises. And she wants to call him the unpredictable God. Who can predict God anyway? Nobody knew the Messiah was going to come from the back door. Nobody knew the Messiah was going to be uh, a carpenter or, 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 or an, a craftsman. Nobody knew that the Messiah was going to give birth to a, uh, the Messiah was going to be born of a virgin. Nobody knew the Messiah was going to sacrifice himself. What does that mean? The God of uh, unpredictable God. She tries to come up with these little phrases, these catchphrases. Nobody cares. People want tradition. They want something with substance. They want something that they can hold on to. They want something where they can plant roots. People are have grown up in broken families, broken homes. Uh, uh, you know, in, in you know, and they've they've tried this whole uh, latched key kid they try these single mom homes nobody wanted it she's completely she 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 completely talks about the men with with, with ma the masculinity of the men and the patriarchy with such hostility right yet solomon would not have a throne if he didn't have a father for a king Bathsheba would not have a um uh, an investment if if Solomon's father was not King David. All right. No, you know she would have no investment in becoming queen mother if 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 David was not the father of her child. You know it takes two to tango. It takes two to tango. She was bathing on the rooftop in eye view of the king's balcony. All right. Now, did she do that deliberately? I believe she did. Okay. People hanged around their rooftops because it was cooler. Don't tell me she didn't know what she was doing.
This whole modernist interpretation is just tiresome. It's been tried. And if you can see, there's a lot of hostility now. Uh, Pope Francis really clamping down hard on the, the traditional Latin mass, on traditional priests, on traditional communities, traditional uh, Catholics and families. He, it, this is just the, the last um, stretch, the last run, the last stride of the, of, of, of the, uh, the hijacking of the church from Vatican II. And she's part of that crowd. They're not, they, 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 they're, they're, they don't want to admit that it's a failure. Not the Vatican II is a failure, but they're, that they're, um, their hijacking is a failure. And, and, you know, and, and it may not end. It's not going to end with Pope Francis because he stacked up the deck. The only thing we can hope for is that some of these men that he stacked up the deck, because you really can't convince everybody to be on the same boat there's a lot of people are going to look down and they're going to see holes in the deck and they're going to see the the, the direction that some of them are going to see the forest from the trees and they're going to look at their parishes i mean right now i just heard about a of a, a bishop who is going to close his doors to the church on christmas because he's they they're desperate they're desperate to, to keep this fear of the of the of the coronavirus now omicron all right omicron is here sounds sound like some something about transformers they're desperate to keep this up they want they they these guys are are again the same you know people like her who run with the world who want the church to resemble the world more and they're going to do the best they can. Sorry, it's not going to work. All right, the church will survive. We will have to clean up the mess. Francis will be a an unhappy memory, sadly, unless he he really uh gets gets to, you know starts to really thinking of the direction he's going unless the holy spirit changes his mind unless he's receptive to the holy spirit open to the holy spirit truly open to the holy spirit that he'll re that he'll repent of the direction he's going i mean michael voris told us uh he said this in one of his last um vortex video it the church is the church regardless even of very disruptive uncomfortable popes like francis it will survive. And I think maybe our attitude of popes is going to have to change. Our understanding of what the Pope is. <clears throat> you know, we have on, on one side, like I believe there is, you have the left who can also treat the Pope like a pagan idol. And you can also have people on the right who have a habit of treating the Pope like a pagan idol. Both sides will treat the Pope we have to look at exactly what Christ wants us to understand what the Pope is, not the layers that came from ideal uh, on uh, uh, people with agendas. He is the head of the church. He is the guardian of the faith. And they also the interpreter of the faith, the one who defines doctrine, the church defines doctrine and dogma. But sometimes, you know, uh, even some, even popes and bishops and cardinals 
and theologians can overplay their hand. You know, we have to really understand. We have to put infallibility in its proper place, not beyond what it's supposed to be. You know, where, where does the buck stop with the Pope? Where does the buck stop with the magisterium? The Holy Spirit, in my opinion, is the place where the buck stops. And regardless how weak the man is or how strong the man in the faith is, the church and the Holy Spirit, I think, is going to be has to be a lot more. And I think that's, you know, we're going to have to really figure it out. I'm not a theologian, but I do believe that, unfortunately, damage has been done to the papacy. I think Benedict did it. When he resigned, he shouldn't have resigned. And I think Francis has done a lot of damage. And I think a lot of a lot of uh, conservatives did a lot of damage. And I think a lot of liberals have done a lot of damage. I think we have to figure out where where things went wrong. We'll have to figure it out after this. We're going to have to wait. Like Milo Yiannopoulos said, we're going to have to wait until this Papa Francisco pops clogs. <laughs> and then we'll have to figure out and we may not be able to figure out after him because the next one after him um i think is not going to be a it's going to be a wild a wild ride i don't think it's going to be a joy ride so let's end it here and um i'll try to get back to you with the christmas eve vigil okay god bless